Welcome to Women Igniting Change, the place to be for women leaders and decision makers who are passionate about changing the world and determined to act. I'm your host, Robin Jorgensen, former corporate executive, global speaker, and founder and CEO of Women Igniting Change. Let's dive in. Hello, changemakers. Welcome back to the Women Igniting Change podcast. I am Robin Jorgensen, your host, and you're in for a huge treat today. Today in the studio, I have Elaine Taylor-Klaus. Elaine is a master certified coach and co-founder of Impact Parents, the first virtual coaching and training resource designed specifically for parents raising children in complex circumstances. She has spoken and exhibited at numerous international conferences. She served on the Charter Quality Network ADHD Executive Review Committee for the American Academy of Pediatrics, and she has written two incredible books, The Essential Guide to Raising Complex Kids and Parenting ADHD Now. We will have Elaine's full bio in the show notes, but for now, Elaine, welcome to the show. Thank you. I am so thrilled to be here, and and I am excited to, to play with you today. Yeah, likewise. So we're going to be diving into a concept called neurodiversity. And before we dive into the questions, you know, that is a term that's really gaining recognition. Can you explain what it is and why it's important in the context of parenting? Yeah. So, so the, the larger framework, the term neurodiversity in a nutshell really means everybody's brain's different. Beautiful. <laughs> you know, and it different is not bad. It's just different. And we right. need to recognize that people's brains are wired differently. Um, within the context, neurodiversity has come to the forefront because a lot of people in the realm of neurodiversity are what might also be called neurodivergent, um, or in my favorite term, neurospicy, which I much prefer to neurodivergent. I do too. That's kind of cool. Um, yeah. Uh, but so the reason I think it's so important in parenting and in the workplace is because when you have a someone whose brain is wired differently from typical brains. I mean, everybody's brains are different, but mm -hmm. there is a general kind of typical brain. All of the neuroscience we talk about is done based on, on typical brains. Mm -hmm. And then there is a significant percentage of the population who have neurodivergent brains or neurodiverse brains. And so when you're parenting or supporting a team member or leading, understanding how a brain is wired differently. Right helps you meet that person where they are and really help them reach for their potential and, and play to their strengths and be their best self. Yeah, I love that. Can you share a bit about your personal journey as a parent in an ADHD and neurodiverse family and what inspired you to co-create Impact Parents? Well, so I'm a mom in what I call an ADHD plus plus family of five, now six, one of my kids is married. Um, and you know, in those early years of a, as parent of a, as, as a parent, I didn't know anything about neurodiversity or neurodivergence. Yeah. And, um, all I knew is that I had, uh, kids who were struggling with some parts of life or learning, particularly my eldest. And, um, and they, life wasn't going as I thought they would in those Kodak commercials uh, right. you know, for when I was pregnant. And, and I was struggling a lot. I was really having a hard time. And I, I like to say that my kids were diagnosed one by one, kind of like dominoes. Yeah. And somewhere in there, I looked around, I looked at my husband, and I was like, there's no way you could be responsible for all of this right. neurology. 
Um, and so I actually went back and had myself evaluated in my 40s. I was trying to go back to graduate school. I was going for a PhD to support other parents because I was so lost in this process. And in those days, there was a lot of support available for kids, but not a lot for parents. Right. And um, and so I decided to have myself evaluated. After some, one of my kids' psychiatrists looked at me and, she, and I said, could it be me too? And she's like, no, honey, you're just a mom. Well, it wasn't just a mom. It turned out I had undiagnosed learning and attention issues that I had navigated my life and accommodated for in my life, but that were making things harder for me than they needed to be. Yeah. And so um, so when I met my business partner now of a dozen years, Diane Dempster, and she had a similar experience. She's not neurodivergent, but she also had neurodiverse kids. And both of us, when we became coaches, discovered that we became significantly better parents to our mm-hmm. complex kids. Yeah. And it wasn't rocket science. You know, coaching yeah. is an empowerment-based modality. It works really well for kids who feel kind of out of control, who really need to begin to learn how to feel in control. Right. And so, you know, we launched what was then Impact ADHD. And then we've branched into Impact Parents because... It's not just ADHD. There's so many issues that our families are dealing with. So how have those experiences shaped your approach to coaching and supporting parents? Well, you know, we do what we call neurodiversity inclusive coaching. So I'm a classically trained coach and I bring neurodiversity awareness into everything I do because it matters how you understand when you're trying to problem solve or have self-awareness or, you know, forward the action in some way in your life or your kid's life, you got to understand what the motivations are and what the obstacles are. Right. And if a kid is struggling with executive function challenges, which has to do with your ability to plan and prioritize and sequence, that's going to impact their ability to do what you ask them to do. Right. And so we bring that neurodiversity lens into everything we do. So when you evolved Impact ADHD to impact parents, what were you seeing and hearing that made you move in that direction? Well, what we we just wanted to reflect the full range of experiences that parents were dealing with Got it. in our community. Um, it, we we expanded into, I would say, because Impact ADHD still exists. Got it. We expanded into Impact Parents when I published the book, The Essential Guide to Raising Complex Kids. Because it's about a coach approach to parenting. Mm. And it's not just about ADHD, because it is every bit as effective for parenting kids with autism, anxiety, depression, learning disabilities, ADHD, um, trauma issues, mm-hmm. and maybe complex times like a global pandemic. <laughs> you know, like yes. the modality, this, this approach is every bit as useful for any child because it's really about meeting them where they are and helping them play to their strengths and empowering them to take ownership of their lives. I mean, yeah. Really, we're not raising children. We're, you know, onboarding adults. It just takes 18 to 25 oh, that years is to a do beautiful that. Re- <laughs> that's a beautiful reframe. I love that. Yeah. Well, I mean, think about it. Like, that's what we're doing. We absolutely are. And we think they're going to be ready at 18, and most of them aren't. Right. <laughs> Not even close. Their frontal lobe's not done fusing. Their brain's not done growing until they're in their mid twenties. Yeah. So what are some of the common misconceptions or challenges that parents face while raising complex kids? And how are you addressing those through the coaching and resources that you provide? Uh, So 
I, we could be here all day with the common mis- misconceptions. Okay. Educate if, our I were, listeners. if I could bottom line it, right. There's the, they'll just grow out of it. Mm-hmm. Mythology. Right. Um, so we, we haven't, it's in, in the book, there are 15 different avatars of different ways that parents respond. Right. So we deny, we avoid, we nag, we get anxious, we get angry. We, you know, there are a lot of ways that we respond. Right. Um, but I think what happens very often is parents, either they feel like they should know how to do it, and then they feel like a terrible failure mm-hmm. um, if they don't. And here's an interesting example. So this week, um, we're doing a young adult summit in 2024, a parents of young adult summit. And so I was reaching out to a particular expert whose name will I will not share because he's a leading world expert. He's written a book on parenting young adults. He his website says he is one of the leading experts, psycho- psychology experts in the world on, on adolescence. And when I reached out to him and said, I'd like to talk to you about a, a summit for parenting young adults who are neurodivergent, he said, I don't know anything about neurodivergence. Whoa. Right? And so wow, I had this like, well, how do I respond? So I went back <laughs> and I'm like, could you just talk to me anyway? Can we just have a conversation, which he agreed to. But what really struck me is that when you're parenting complex kids and you're doing what the experts tell you to do yeah, and it doesn't work, then you feel like more of a failure and you're really worried your kids totally screwed up. Right. But when you shift the lens and understand that there are just some nuances and tweaks you have to make to make it work for this population of kids, it changes the outcomes. Yeah. And so that's the piece that I think Parents have this sense that I should know how to do it because parents have been parenting for eons. Right. But parents haven't been parenting in this environment with this world, with these expectations, right. with this, with these stresses and pressures. And, and we need help. I don't think a lot of parents feel like I should do it alone. I should just wait. Maybe it'll happen. Maybe they'll, they'll grow out of it. You know, those are some of the misconceptions that get people into the most trouble. The thing that I hate to hear that I hear honestly all the time is I wish I had found you eight years ago. I wish I had found you 10 years ago. I wish I had found you 20 years ago. Ouch. And and my response used to be, yeah, I wish I had found me too. (laughs) You know, because I was really wandering in the desert for over a decade before I finally reached out and said, somebody give me a hand. I can't do this by myself anymore. But a lot of parents wait until it's really bad, till the relationships are fractured. To, a lot of providers wait to refer parents for help because they don't want to embarrass them. They don't right. want to offend them. But, you know, parents of all kids these days need help, but parents of complex kids really need help way earlier than they're getting it. I don't know that I've ever thought about, you know, parenting, you know, you and I are similar ages, parenting that our parents did versus parenting now and not only complex children, but the complexities of the world that we live exactly. in the trauma that still lives in their bodies from going through a global pandemic and not having to be around friends and sitting in front of a Zoom, like all of those nuances, I don't think that we think about that. No, we don't. And, and I love that you brought that in. So so there's the pandemic is the obvious one, but think about it. 20 years ago, there was no iPhone. Right. There was no tablet. There was no like technology. You had to rent a movie. And right. that was an innovation, right? And so our kids are gaining more information are getting bombarded with more information yeah. in an hour than many of us got in a month or 
in our lives growing up. I mean, the yeah. world, the, the way that people are exposed to information has changed. And our kids are getting information from different resources from their parents. Right. So right. there's no parents. There's no let right. You you yeah. got your news from the same resource your parents got it from, or you got right. it from your parents. And now there's, you know, there's all these different ways that people are accessing information, some of it accurate, some of it not. Right. Um, yeah, so it's it's way more complicated world. And then there's gamification and there's, you know, these these devices that are designed to be dopamine stimulators. And right. I mean, there's just a lot of complexity that yeah. we've got to navigate. And you know, I was on with a group of parents. We run a, a number of coaching groups that meets twice a month. And I was with a group of parents of teens yesterday. And this particular group has been meeting for over a year together. So they're pretty gelled. And, um, and you know, when I ask, as I do at the end of every call, what are your takeaways from today? One of the moms from London said, I am so privileged to be here in this conversation. Aww. Because there was just this awareness that you know, being able to be conscious about how we parent and to slow down and think about how do I want to be in that conversation with my kid about that issue? How do I want to deal with my kid having school refusal or um, dealing with depression or um, being so anxious or having social issues or whatever? Yeah. Slowing down to, to think about how we want to be with it is a, is a gift and a privilege that we forget is available to us. So let's dive into the book a little bit more. So in The Essential Guide to Raising Complex Kids, you emphasize setting effective and realistic expectations. Can you provide some practical tips for parents on how they can implement that approach? So that's exactly what the topic was yesterday, funny enough, in this, call, in this conversation. Um, so in our model, we talk about shifting expectations okay. when, when kids are diagnosed with issues or kids are struggling. A lot of times parents feel like I have to lower my expectations mm. and that's not true. These kids are typically, um, very bright and very capable, but they're often developmentally three to five years behind their same age peers in some yeah. aspects of their development, but not others. So they may be able to like argue you under the table right. and have a sophisticated conversation, but then they can't, you know, turn in their homework. So shifting expectations or setting realistic expectations is about understanding where their strengths are and where their challenges areas are and meeting them where they are in any given challenge area. And and setting the expectation from there. So I, I was working with a couple yesterday and um, it's a younger couple, parent of two kids, six and nine, older son is on the spectrum, just diagnosed recently on the spectrum, has had been diagnosed with ADHD for many years. And the dad lost his school yesterday and we were unpacking it and trying to help him yeah. figure out how to stop that. And what became clear was that his expectations were, if he tells me he's going to eat the eggs, he should eat the eggs because I believe that people should do what they say and be true oh, to their work. Oh. Now, that's a great value. And it's actually a value his kid shares because his kid wants the teachers to do what they say they're going to do. Right. But in that moment, it wasn't reasonable to expect a nine-year-old kid on the spectrum to rise to that occasion. Right. And so that's what I mean by eventually this kid's going to eat his breakfast. Right. Yep. But in that moment, early in the morning when he's not yet regulated, that wasn't the time to pick to pick the issue. Yep. 
right? And navigating how to help them learn to eat protein for breakfast is, is a larger conversation that may not happen in that moment when the kid's resisting and the dad's pushing. Yeah. So that's a conversation for another time. So that's an example of how we're not talking about lowering expectations. We're talking about being very conscious and thoughtful about when we set expectations and how. And the other piece to that, that what I'm alluding to is, is that to understand that with kids, a single conversation can happen over a great distance of time. So more. we talk about it as dropping breadcrumbs. Okay. And so you might want to talk to this kid about how important it is to have protein for breakfast and get his buy-in to have protein and to eat his breakfast. But that could take a few weeks to drop some breadcrumbs, talk about, you know, what happens when your brain on protein. How do, did you notice how much clearer you felt when you had that sandwich? Right. You know? um, and so you drop little pieces of information. And so you're enrolling them into a, into a conversation rather than we've been thinking about it forever. We come in and we say, yeah. okay, we have to talk. Yeah. There's nothing that will turn a kid off quicker than the words we have to yeah, like it's just a shutdown for them. And, you know, I was teaching a group of, of uh, social and emotional learning educators at a school in New Jersey. And I was teaching this concept of breadcrumbs. And one of the counselors raised her hand and she said, oh, no, I've been giving them entire loaves of bread. <laughs> <laughs> I am now seeing I need because we need to bring them to the conversation. Oh, we need to be an invitation for them to be part of their learning and their agency rather than just just expecting it because expectations are shoulds and so what we really want to do is enroll our kid in setting their own expectations for themselves rather than shoulding all over them yeah because should is a control thing and these kids are struggling with control so we want to give them control every way that we can so you just mentioned this parenting group that meets twice a month. Mm-hmm. Give our listeners a taste of what are some of the other coaching programs and tools that you provide. Oh, cool. Thank you. So we start everybody in our community with a with a six-class course called Sanity School. Um, Sanity School for Parents. Cool we have Sanity School for Teachers. The secret to what we do is we're actually teaching coaching skills. So it's a six-class course in neurodiversity-informed coaching skills. We're not training parents to become coaches. Right. But we're giving them exposure to a coach approach, to a coaching framework, so that they can begin to shift the way they communicate, shift the way they set expectations, begin to enroll and empower their kids to have a greater sense of agency. And coaching tools are really powerful for that. So we start everybody with sanity school, and or sometimes with a four-week class. And then we do private coaching and group coaching. And, um, and so this coaching group, it's called the parent success system has been running since 2011. Wow. We run somewhere between six and 10 groups a month, depending on how many people are in the program at any given time. Right. We have groups for younger kids, older kids, uh, younger kids, teens, young adults. So parents of young adults We have two groups for parents of young adults and then for all ages so that people from anywhere in the world can find a time zone that's going to work for them. And yeah. And find a group that's going to work for them. So we do private coaching as well and have a bench of, you know, 10 private coaches. But the group coaching is the most affordable way for people to get really a lot of support because we also do something called office hours twice a month. So anybody in any of our programs gets access to either Diane or me twice a month to ask questions, get feedback, get laser coaching so that everybody's getting a little bit of training and, you know, a little at least some coaching for 
more coaching. Right. Um, just because there's a lot of information out there. Right. And we want to give them some information and then we want to help them integrate the information and implement it. And that's really where we focus is on integration. and implementation. Yeah. That's where the transformation happens. Right. How do you see those cohorts fostering a sense of community in and among themselves? Well, it's so cool um, because sometimes it's more than others. We have an online forum as well. So all the parents and all of our members are also in some way, all the groups so that they can connect. And so sometimes, and I'll hear them talk about it. They'll go off on their own or they'll connect, you know, they'll direct message. Yesterday, they were sharing email addresses with each other or phone numbers so they could find each other outside to commiserate Uh or or support each other. Um, We've had some groups like, we ran some positive intelligence groups. We do those about three, four times a year. Um, and I have one group that has, that small group has now been meeting for three or four years. Wow. Um, because they just found connection and it, we have nothing to do with it, right? That's just them on their own. Yes. Um, so, you know, we, we try to foster the connection. And for some of them, all they have time to do is show up to the group. Yeah. Right. And they can show up or not or listen to it. Right. And some of them, if they want more, will reach out to each other. Yeah. So par- parents who are looking to advocate more for that inclusive and supportive network within mm-hmm. their local schools and communities, mm-hmm. how do they do that? What are some tips for parents to really advocate for their children and for themselves in those areas? It's harder in local communities, I think, because it depends on the community. What I see is oftentimes Unless your kids are in a in a special school, yeah. there's a lot of stigma that parents are still trying to overcome. Some schools have, you know, special needs or complex kids or neurodiverse. You know, some kids have communities. Some schools have communities for parents. Some don't. A lot of parents will then go to their schools and ask their schools to bring us in to meet right. with parents or meet with faculty or both. My preference is to do both. Um so it really just depends. There are some people out there who are doing some good work around teaching parents to become advocates, but that's really more advocating for 504s and IEPs and okay. accommodations. Yeah. Um, you know, finding community. I'm a huge believer in finding community. I think there's probably nothing more important than a parent can do. And when you look at the recommended treatment for complex kids, part of the recommended treatment is for parents to get training and support. And one of the requirements of that is that there be a community for people. Oh, wow. So it's not just training from an expert, but it's a community of peers. Yeah. And one of the things that I've noticed that happens is that when you find a community of your peers, first of all, it ends the isolation, right? Parents begin to see they're not alone. They're not the only one whose kid X, Y, Z. But then they can also begin to see when their kids are even are outliers, even within that realm. And so there are many times that parents in my community, by being in the community or working with one of us as a coach, will then go back to their provider and say, I think we're missing something. Mm. And so I've got a lot more kids now who are finally getting things like autism diagnosis because by being in the community, they were seeing, okay, this is, this is not just one of the mill ADD. Right. There's something else going on here. So community is, is so powerful for parents. And whether it's virtual or in person, it, it's just knowing you're not alone and finding someone else who can hear you and relate to you is really, really powerful. Yeah. You know, do you want to be hugged, heard, or helped? Yeah. And you kind of get all of it in those, in those online communities. 
What are some of the challenges that you experience taking this work into any of the school systems with faculty, with teachers? What are some of those challenges? You know, I think the biggest challenge is that schools have so much pressure on them. Mm. And the expectations for what they need to cover is so broad and vast. Yeah. That what happens is that they'll bring us in, but it's kind of like, and, and it's valuable and they value it. I don't mean to say that they don't care about it, but it's like checking a box. Yeah. Check, done that. Okay, now we move on to the next hub. Right. So it's really hard to get a school to do a deeper dive to really give the teachers and the faculty the support that they need. Right. Rather than just, there's a lot of overview. And and then the other challenge, I think, is that parents expect the schools to know this stuff. Right. And they don't because they don't, it's not part of their education. Doctors don't know much about, let's, let's just take ADHD as an example. It's, it's, you'd be shocked at how little training medical providers get about it. Mm. If, if they get exposed to it at all. And, um, and the same is true for teachers. So parents think the teachers are supposed to know this stuff, but even the special ed teachers don't always have real exposure to understanding depth and breadth of executive function. Wow. And so often the parents become well-informed enough where the parents become the educators of teachers. If we can train them to do it without putting the teachers on the defense, because it, right. it's really easy for people to get defensive. Yeah. Um, because the expectations are high. And imagine, you know, a classroom with, with 25 kids where 10 of them are neurodiverse. Right. That's, and you have the training in order to deal with that effectively. Right. So it's, it's, it's complicated. It's really complicated. I was talking to a school district this week who is a small enough, affluent enough school district where every, the entire school system is inclusive. There's no pullouts, no nothing. Wow. But they have the resources to have a second adult in every classroom. Oh, wow. That's incredible. That's trained to support, you know, kids with right. whatever. Yeah. But that's rare. And that's such a good point because we do trust the experts. Like the psychologist that you mentioned a few minutes ago, world-renowned, you would assume that they were absolutely up to speed in neurodiversity and complex kids, all of that. You know, whether it's a pediatrician or an MD, or we we do kind of give away our power a little bit to those experts and assume that they're the ones in order to, to train us. But parents really need to become their own best advocate for themselves and kids. Yeah. Well, and what I learned early on in the process, and it took me a while to kind of find my strength in it, was that as a parent, I was being called upon to make really complex decisions for my kids. The complex medical decisions, complex education decisions. And I didn't have any training for it at all. Right. So, you know, I had to give myself permission to learn it, but then I had to stop learning and start doing something about it. That's where the integration implementation, because a lot of us, especially those of us, a lot of us as parents of complex kids have our own complex issues ourselves. Right. Right. And so it's really easy to just stay in that information, information, keep learning, keep learning, keep learning. But it's what am I going to do with it that really matters? And it's scary because there's no roadmap for that. You got to kind of figure it out. That's part of what we do. The reason we started Impact is because as a parent, what was available to me was therapy. 
And mm. I love therapy. I am a big fan of therapy. And right there with you. Absolutely. I and I didn't need a therapist. Right. I did some therapy. And then what I found was I didn't need a therapist. I needed a Sherpa. <laughs> you know, I needed somebody to, to walk the path with me who, um, who could be with me on it and understand it. And, you know, I was talking to a, a mom yesterday who said she is, she's been in therapy for a long time. She is now, you know, working with me and she's stopping with her therapist for now. It's, she'll mm-hmm. go back at some point, but right. she was getting more out of the coaching than the therapy because what she needed was more coaching than therapy. Right. Right. And so sometimes we coach people to be able to get into therapy, mm-hmm. be able to use it. A lot of people come to us saying, you know, I've never gotten anything from therapy. And that's because what they really needed was coaching first. Sometimes it's the other way around. So, yeah. What resources or organizations would you recommend for parents who want to become more involved in that advocacy work or just further supporting their neurodiverse kids? Well, I, I would certainly say impact parents. Like, come join us. We'll give you a, a, a a free gift, a free guide to sort of parents, uh, the, uh, something about um, top 12 tips for, for coaching, you know, as a parent. Um, and so we'll, we'll give you something where people could come in and download something for free and see the resources. We have an extraordinarily robust website. We've been publishing um, content for 12 years and hundreds of guest experts and coaching tips and all that. Um, there are some great resources, organizations out there. We have a, a section on our site that links to all of the friends of and so there's the Learning Disability Association of America and Children and Adults with ADD and ADD Association. And I'm happy to, I'll give you the link to the resource page that's got a lot of these other resources. Um, there's some great stuff out there. And as I say, and there's a difference between information and what are you going to do with it? So remember to to get the information and then keep moving forward with it. Yeah. And what's the website? Impactparents.com uh, is ours. And then, and I'll give you some links for your show notes for the resources page. And then uh, if you do impactparents.com slash igniting change, we'll give you a free. Those are really good words. Yeah. <laughs> I think maybe people can remember igniting change. I love that. Elaine, this has been amazing. Thank you so much. Oh, it's truly my pleasure. And thank you for asking. I really appreciate an opportunity to share this amazing work with your community. Yeah. So for our listeners, we will have links to the website, the resources, Elaine's full bio, and we will see you back here next time. Take care, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to Women Igniting Change. I know creating change matters to you. If you enjoy what we talk about on the show, please take one action today and share it with someone who could benefit from listening. Until next time, keep standing up and speaking out for what matters.